Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Mark eleven seventeen, And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations? Look at that. Of all nations. The house of prayer. I just heard of a prayer meeting that was going on on the tarmac of an airport because so many people showed up for the prayer meeting they couldn't house it in a building. I want to see that. I'd like to see us take over Mitchell Field and have a prayer meeting so big. We need an airport runway, the tarmac, to do it. That would be amazing. But it's going to be called that of all nations, the house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus was very upset with what they were doing there. But I want to focus on that he wants it to be called the house of prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, the greatest danger, I had a friend who had an Audi and his mirror fell off, his reverse, like the, the back mirror. He was driving one day and it, the glue had dried out and his mirror just fell. And he's like, oh, I got to get that replaced. That doesn't go back on there because it was a special kind of car. And so he had to spend like a lot of money to get his rearview mirror put back up. And he... And they cut the wires and all the sensors that went to the previous mirror. And he's like, I'm just going to throw this out. And I said, well, don't throw it out. I, I'd, I'd like to have that. And he looked at me sideways like, you've lost a few marbles. I said, no, no, no. I'd like to have that for a sermon illustration. I'd like to bring it to church, which I didn't because I couldn't find it. But somewhere in a box. I do have a rearview mirror of a 04 Audi somewhere in a box at my house. And he was like, man... I would really, I, I would, I would really like to give this to you, but I really don't know what you're going to do with it. You can't like reuse it. I said, no, no, I'm just going to use it for a sermon illustration. It's great because it allows me to understand the danger of looking in your past, because there is a need to look back, but you're not supposed to drive always looking back. Amen. So he could still drive the car even without a reverse, a rear view mirror. He could still go where he needed to go, could still get things done that he needed to get done. But there was a level of safety that was taken away. There was a level of assurance that was taken away when he couldn't look back and make sure the car behind him was stopping okay. And when he couldn't look back into his past and see that everything around him was secure. So I want you to know that there is a understanding in my life that we, are, we, we need to look back at certain things, but you will crash looking at your past. You have to look forward. And so I, I want to say that in the beginning, not because it's part of the sermon so much, but because I want you to hear me when I say the greatest danger of the church is to live in the past. We cannot go where God wants us to go as a church if we're constantly looking in the rearview mirror. In fact, I've preached before that we need to take the rearview mirror down at times and just say, God, where you're leading us is where we want to go. Amen, someone? And so today I was looking into the scripture, and I think it's good for a pastor to read his Bible, right? I mean, that's important. <laughs> kind of need to do that. It's helpful. And I had a couple of scriptures that I was going through, and I, and I was kind of dealing with an understanding of we have a tendency as human beings to look 
through the filter of what we want to see. You know, it's, it's, it's a cognitive bias. Um, there's all kinds of psychological terms for these kind of things, and they've studied it where we understand that whenever you buy it, you, you can see it. If you've ever bought a car, like you buy a Ford Focus, you will see all the Ford Focuses on the road that you never saw before. Why? Because you just bought that car. Anybody ever have an experience of buying a car and then all of a sudden you see it everywhere? Or you buy a sweater, ladies, and then all of a sudden she has it on, and you know I'm never shopping there again. You know, Or it's the same thing. It's, it's an understanding that what you put in front of your focus, you begin to see everywhere, and you begin to process it that way. And so we have to be careful in the church that we don't create what's known as an echo. And I want to preach to you for a little while about echoes of yesterday echoes of yesterday because the most dangerous thing we can do is live on what we've heard from our past live on what we've been through live on what we have had only in the past whenever god wants to speak a fresh word he wants to take us to new places he wants to grow us into something that we cannot be from our past because we cannot live by bread alone but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of god amen how many enjoyed the lesson this morning in Spirit Life class? Did you enjoy that? Thank you, Brother Reese, for teaching on the Holy Ghost. We love that so much. I grew up, I'll tell you a story, and then I'll tell you a story about Paul and Silas, and then we'll go barbecue something. Um, what's interesting about my story and my life is they always go back to Alaskan stories. So I always have like the backstory whenever people are like, where did you live? Oh, Alaska. Conversation goes to Alaska immediately because it's a little bit farther away and people always thought I lived in an igloo, you know, and we would play with them. Oh, yeah, you know, you know, why you have to be really careful with polar bears. Why? Because they love to eat igloos. Well, why is that? Because they're crunchy on the outside, warm and gooey on the inside. Oh, they'll edit that joke out of, I'm just kidding, you can leave it in. And we would joke with people like, oh, did you live in England? I'm like, yeah, we had mucklucks, and last year the fad was to lace our mucklucks up to our knees. That was really cool. I had Jordan mucklucks. <laughs> and so you always had conversation that they wanted to have off of Alaska. But growing up in Alaska, I was poor, so I had the mountains and all of that stuff to go do. But I always had to ride on the back of the four-wheeler because I didn't have a four-wheeler. And finally, one time I got a three-wheeler and I worked on it more than I rode it because I had to trim some bushes at a neighbor's house before he gave me his broken down three-wheeler. And then I had to fix it. And if you know anything about a three-wheeler, they tip over really easy. So I learned how to jump from motor vehicles very quickly while they're moving. But mostly I rode on the back of my friends, four-wheelers, who parents, whose parents had money. And, and we used to ride back into this area that used to be this old mining area. It was a gravel pit. And they had, gra they had dug out a huge, basically a huge area. And there was roads that ran around and went down into it. And there was water that had retained. And I tell you the story, not to bore you, but just to let you know that the first time we rode up on that canyon, what we thought was a canyon, because to me as a kid, it was the deepest, darkest, darkest canyon you've ever met, ever seen. And so we came up on the canyon, and I don't know if, if you know how things are bigger when you're a kid, you know, like they're so much larger, and then you go back, and you're like, that wasn't that big. 
But for me, it was the, the hugest canyon. And we used to love it because you could drive down into the canyon and you can get into a certain spot where you created an echo. And you would stand there and you would go, hello! And it would echo. And we love to hear our voice. And you, you, you move over a little bit to get it, kind of get it a little bit better and you go, hello! Anybody there? And it was the greatest thing you could ever do. <laughs> uh, you would love it too, but you'd have to have my microphone to do it. It's actually how you hold your hands. That's the way you do it. You've got to hold your hands a certain way. <laughs> I didn't think that was going to work. Thank you, Nate. You did a great job. But we would do that. We would get in there. It, it basically was an abandoned work area where they were mining gravel and things out of the place and it basically became the community dump like if you there was broken down cars in there and there was hot water heaters rusted out and there was all this junk dump but to us it was awesome because you could go down in there and it created this echo chamber and I don't know what they were going to do with that space it seemed like to me like as a kid it was the funnest thing to do was to go in there but since it, it turned into the community dump, it was basically just a place where people threw things that they didn't want. Like they, they would just throw something or someone that they didn't want. I think they just push things off and just leave them down in the canyon. But what I found out was that when I began to look at what an echo chamber is, they real, I realized that I love to hear my voice more than everybody else's. Because you want to hear yourself echoing back to yourself. And it created this echo chamber, the hollow enclosure of that area when we got down in there would reverberate the sound and sound would just regenerate itself over and over again, just like they did for me just a minute ago, where I could just stand in a certain place and you could get, you could get it loud enough where when you yelled, hello, it would come back to you, and but it would slowly fade away. Scientists use what's known as an echo chamber to test sound waves and musicians use echo chambers to produce sound effects and to create music and as a child I heard that you don't ever want to say anything bad if you don't have something good to say don't say anything at all and as I read further I found out that sound never goes away what you say what you emit into the atmosphere always stays there it may degrade some it may turn into white noise but the energy of that sound will eventually disperse and it will always or eternally be there so there's echoes in eternity amen somebody there's echoes in our life. There's echoes of things that come from our past that we have to deal with with the power of the blood of Jesus. There is a voice that's louder than the echoes in your life from your past. For we have better blood than that of the blood of Abel. When Abel was slain by his brother Cain, God said, Cain, what have you done? And he said, am I my brother's keeper? Not my day to watch him, but actually he had murdered as the first murderer 
in the Bible and God said his blood calls to me. Uh, God has the way of hearing the sound of, of blood speak to him. And so then when he died on the cross and his blood was poured out, we don't have to live in the echo chamber of our failures. We don't have to live in the echo chambers of past mistakes. We don't have to live with the reverberations of you're no good, you're not enough, you can never do it well enough, but we live in the echo chamber of the blood of Jesus Christ, where he said, you are mine, you are worthy, you are valuable, you are bought with a price, I loved you enough to die for you. His blood still speaks, and it's a greater covenant than any covenant. It's a greater power than any power. It breaks every chain. Amen, somebody. I'm thankful that his voice in his blood dealt with the echoes of my past. I'm so grateful, and I love him for it. Would you put your hands together one more time and thank God for settling the sounds of our past? The sound has become more popular and known and, and understood to mean the reverberation of our own lives in our own ways. In fact, it become, it's become a term that is used in real phenomenon in life. They have become, it's become a term that is used in business and in news media and in our life and our thinking and our processing where we can spend a lot of time reprocessing what we already know or, or thinking as we think or doing as we do. And some businesses are stuck in their own echo chamber. And some news media, hello somebody, are stuck in their own echo chamber. Oops, did I say that out loud? That got past my filter. <laughs> where there's nothing new that is heard, amen? And where it becomes an issue is when it enters into the church. It's different when there's people that are in business. It's different when there's people that are in media or other places that don't get outside the bubble of the people that they hang out with. They listen to the same things. They watch the same things. They surf the content that reinforces their own thinking and their own echo chamber, amen? But when it gets into the church, it becomes a problem because when we hang out with the same people and act like the same people around us and think and we all act the same and look the same and talk the same and speak the same, we recreate a religious echo chamber. And that echo chamber can keep us locked inside of thinking that God wants us to get out of. It can get us locked inside a bad theology. Amen, somebody. It can get us locked inside a bad practice or bad understanding understanding. And God wants us to break that echo chamber. He wants us to shatter the reverberations of what we are and what we do and how we approach God and replace it with the things that he says about his church. He says about us and how he wants us to approach him. Amen. So we must destroy the echo chamber in the church. It becomes dangerous. Is it a problem? You bet it is. It's a problem all across the nation. It's a problem in every, almost in every church where there's pockets of echo chambers where people are just saying the same thing, doing the same thing, reinforcing their own initiated beliefs with people around them that believe the same and look the same and talk the same. 
There is something more important than that. There's something more important and devastating than seeing pockets inside the church because if we have our own echo chambers, we damage our understanding of reaching others because they don't know how to talk like us. They may not know how to look like us. They may not know how to stand when you're supposed to stand or clap when you're supposed to clap. They may not know that the last Sunday of the month is casual Sunday. <laughs> I'm making fun of myself <laughs> as a pastor. Let's do casual Sunday one Sunday a month and then just absolutely mess up everybody's schedule. Is today the day? Is today the day? Do I wear a tie? Do I don't wear a tie? I'm having a nervous breakdown over one month for casual Sunday. I don't think it's necessary for us to be so focused on the things that we think we need to be focused on, especially if they take us away from reaching the world. What if we went to casual as a church and reached a thousand people this year? Would you rather do that or wear a tie? Mm, well, we can disagree on what it means to dress up for church, but I wonder if maybe we could get outside the echo chamber of what we say we have to do and get back into the book to say what we need to do, what God wants us to do, what God loves and he appreciates and adores. I don't do things just because I think they're a good idea or because I'm surrounded by a bunch of people that pat me on the back and echo my sentiments. I walk with God because I know it pleases him. I know he loves these things. I know he adores that in me. He adores that character in me. He adores the way I look and the way I walk. Not because I match up to what you think I should be as a pastor, but because he's called me to be a pastor. He's called me to do what I do. And not because I want to be right in everybody's eyes, but because I want to be right in his eyes. I want to hear the small clapping voice saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to be the one that listens for the applause of one. Amen? Because it's dangerous in a church if the church creates its own echo chamber and just seems like to ourselves that we're all okay because we're all doing the same thing. But wonder, maybe, maybe we're not being as effective as we could be. The thing that changes our understanding, the thing that breaks the echo chamber is prayer. Prayer changes everything. Prayer changes the way you think. Prayer puts a conviction in your heart. Prayer turns you around. Prayer puts you back on the right path. Prayer helps you with offenses. Prayer helps you when you're hurt. Prayer helps you when you're up. Prayer helps you when you're down. Prayer changes everything. The truth is there's an echo chamber that we can all get into in our life and in business. And the only way out is to have a fresh voice from heaven speak into our echo chambers. That is the only way to change it. We know that it's dangerous, so we must deal with the things that we have to deal with through prayer. There's no other way to deal with it properly. If someone offends me, I have a choice. Hear me carefully, because this is probably the most important thing I'm going to say in this sermon. If someone offends me, I have a choice, really two choices of what to do. If someone offends me, I can tell people all about it, or I can go directly to God in prayer. The two channels create two different things. Number one is if I tell people all about it, the next thing that happens is the listeners begin to think less of the offender. If I go to God directly in prayer, he listens to me and gives me this better perspective on it. Two different channels. 
but watch the consequences of not going to prayer with your offenses. The second thing, the third thing that happens if you tell people about it, then they listen and begin to think differently of the offender. Then they join me in speaking negatively about the offender. This is how it works every time. Or if I go directly to God, he listens to me and gives me a better perspective. I feel peace. Number three, I feel peace. The need to vent to others goes away. The need to vent is gone if you take it to God in prayer. So if you tell people all about it, the listeners think differently of the offender. They join you speaking negatively about the offender. And then here's what happens. I have succeeded in causing others to sin. I have, by creating division in relationships, making myself more upset by rehashing the details. Everybody say echo chamber. Over and over. The echo chamber never has a new voice enter into it. You're only hearing the reverberations of old, of an old voice. And so you rehash it over and over, directly, knowingly, and willingly disobeying God's word by reacting according to the flesh rather than submitting to the spirit. That's where that leads. And flesh produces more flesh, amen? But if you go directly to God, everybody say, go directly to God with your offenses. He listens to me and gives me a better perspective. I feel peace. The need to vent to others is gone. And then the result of that is I have honored God by valuing, valuing unity over the very temporary pleasure of gossiping, gaining sympathy from others. That is the two channels you can take it. And I'm sorry that kind of is a buzzkill right now. But you have to understand that when we go to the Lord in prayer, we are breaking the echo chamber of our own offenses. Amen, somebody. When we go to the Lord in prayer, we are tearing down the devil's ability to keep repeating over and over in your ear. Do you know what they did? Do you know what they said? Do you know how they hurt you? Do you know how much that affects you? Do you know all that that's going to destroy? And you just hear it again and again and again in that echo chamber reverberates until you cannot hear anything but a non-original sound. All you hear is the past echoing over and over again, and it won't just affect you. Others will hear it, and it can destroy other lives as well. But if we take it to the Lord, if we take it to the Lord, he speaks fresh word into your perspective. And that word becomes thought and thought becomes action. And you can actually love your enemy. You can actually love someone who does falsely against you or falsely accuses you. If you put prayer into the situation, if you would go in prayer first, God can help you and give you peace in that situation and turn it around and you will keep sin from perpetuating itself. You will not allow a sin echo chamber to come out of your offenses. You will not allow a bitter echo chamber to come out of your offenses. You will allow God to use your story to save somebody else through it. Thank God that I have been able to use all of the moments that I have fallen down or others have fallen down and hurt me around my life. I'm not saying I did it right every time, but I thank God someone's gotten saved from my scars. 
I thank God that someone's gotten saved from destroying my echo chamber in prayer. Is this okay today? I know it's a little bit heavy, but I'm feeling a heavy spirit for prayer in the church. When nothing new is heard, there's no new action. There's no new thought. And there's no new change. I don't want to listen to the echo chamber of my past any longer. I don't want to become convinced that I'm okay because I, I talked about that person or I did something that I shouldn't have done. I don't want that in my life. I want to go to prayer about everything and say, Lord, if I did it wrong, tell me. And I will go back to them and I will apologize. That's what it's like to treat, treat, your, treat strangers right, to treat people who do you wrong right. Whenever you take it to the Lord, he gives you the ability to do right and be a Christian in the situation. And so I'm thankful that I know the danger of my tongue is dealt with when I use my tongue in prayer. <laughs> that whenever I turn it all to the Lord, he turns it around, amen? Because the truth is, in us, we have the ability to get lost in ourselves. We, get a, we have the ability to get lost in our own echo chambers, amen? And so we have to understand that I told a friend this not long ago that the, the woman who lost the coin, she went and she swept the house and found the coin. The, the man who lost his son, he went and found his son. There's several different parables in Scripture the one who lost the sheep is the one I was reaching for there. The shepherd who lost his sheep, he left the 99 in, in care of a sheepfold or a person and went and sought the one who was lost. And he found it. But the little pine, the boy who was lost, no one could go find him because he was lost in himself. He got lost in his own echo chamber. If you study it out, you understand that we have a God who gives us something greater than our own life, something greater than our own thoughts, and something greater than our own ways. We have the right stuff, amen? Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. We don't have to live by the past. We don't have to live by the reverberations of bygone repeating days and bygone repeating offenses. We can live a greater day, amen? Because the truth is stronger. And Jesus is our truth. I'm grateful for it. How about you? That's why I believe we can go into all the world and preach the gospel. Because we have a truth that is greater than everyone's echo chamber. We have a voice and a word that's greater. When you open this Bible, you're shattering the thoughts and the intents. And you're dividing soul and spirit, bone and marrow. You're doing something that nothing else can do. You're taking the anointed word of God and you're changing the sounds that they hear. You're changing the ways that they live. And, and, and I know it's for us too. I'm not just saying they. I'm not saying they and us. I'm not meaning to create our own culture. But what I am saying is that there is an important place in our life where we have to live believing that the word of God is what they need to hear, that there's power in the word of God. And if we live it out loud, we live it in our life, we live it in our conversation, as the New Testament says, the way we live, people will hear it, see it, and change, be changed by it. Amen, somebody. So in Acts 16, 25, the media team's helping me because I don't want us to live in an echo chamber anymore. 
There's a Macedonian call that goes out to Paul, and Paul and Silas begin to travel. And I'm just going to give you the, the five W's of this particular second missionary journey. But it says at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners what? Heard them. I preached this not long ago, and that was the first time I saw that. In my entire time in scripture, in my entire time being a pastor, I never focused on the fact that the other prisoners heard them. That for the first time in my life, I looked at their situation. They had been stripped and they had been flogged. So let me give you the who, what, when, where, and why. The five W's of this situation. Paul had had a vision of a Macedonian man dressed in Macedonian garb saying, please come and help us. Please come and help us. And Paul knew that God was calling him, so he went to Thrace and he went on to Philippi and he went to different places. But they were having church. They were having, they were having revival. He got into... He got, he he got into the city and got on his mission and he met with Lydia. Of course, she was there, the seller of purple. But what, what he was doing or who it was was Paul and Silas. What they were doing were they were trying to go and, and find this, this, fulfill this Macedonian call. And so when was the, obviously the second journey, but they had upset the economy of the day. And so they were taken and they were stripped and they were beaten. The, the Bible actually says in one translation that they were flogged. How would you like that? Get a calling from God and then get flogged. That sounds fun. Let's put that in for the church track growth for discipleship. <laughs> that will not change anybody's life. They will run. They were beaten, and Paul was with Silas, who was also a Hellenistic Jew. He spoke Greek, and he was also a Roman, Roman citizen, so he was very much like Paul. They related with each other. But you have to understand that this was not a moment where it was good. They were thrown in jail. How would you like to have woke up this morning? See, Paul got in jail, thrown in jail a lot in those days. He spent a lot of his time in jail. But how would you like to wake up this morning and see... On the top of the paper, the headline that said, Pastor Calhoun thrown in jail. <laughs> That'll build the church. Amen. You guys are so quiet today. You must be in deep thought. I lost you in the echo chamber. You're like, I got to break the echo chamber. <laughs> but Paul did, Paul did real time. And so he's in the echo chamber dealing with things, sitting in a prison house, dealing with his thoughts, beaten in stocks, and he can either relive the past of why did I get a call? Why did I get sent here? And why am I now feeling imprisoned by this situation? Why am I here where I cannot get out? I cannot go anywhere. In fact, thrust into the innermost part of the prison. Why is this all happening to me? He can either relive that over and over again, or he can begin to worship and praise the Lord. And I know it's hard to praise the Lord when you're in prison. I get it. Sometimes we feel imprisoned by our emotions, imprisoned by many things. And I know it's hard to praise the Lord, but when you know God's working, you can still praise him in a very bad place. Amen? So Paul begins to understand that God's working, and he looks at the jailer. And the jailer is wearing the Macedonian garb that he saw in his vision. God put him in jail to bring revival to Europe. Do you understand what I'm talking about? He could either live in his own echo chamber or he could begin to pray. Everybody say pray. 
and praise God. In fact, the Bible says that that is exactly what Paul did. He was like, you know what, Silas? Why don't we start to pray? And why don't we lift up a song and praise the Lord? You know that prayer not only gets you out of your echo chamber, but praise and singing unto the Lord lifts you out of the reverberations and the repeat offenses of your past. I'm thankful to God that when I walk into a worship service, I know I'm not just here to lift the Lord up, but I'm here because when I lift him, him up he draws me up amen somebody I'm grateful that he lifts me up and he encourages my spirit and I know I can change in the presence of praise and worship and so Paul and Silas begin to praise and worship and the prisoners heard them and it changed their life because the house was shaken and they were released and I began to look through the scriptures at the places where Paul got thrown in jail <laughs> 15 years from this point further, you know, he's in jail in Rome. He's writing to the churches in Philippi. It's called the Pauline epistles, but it's also, there's several epistles in the New Testament that are known as the prison epistles. And he writes out Philemon, and, and maybe the Lord was like, Paul, you're not writing enough. I'm going to throw you in jail. So Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, hey, I'm back in jail. <laughs> Look at me go. <laughs> And he's telling them many different things, but one thing he does tell them is from a jailhouse, he says it works. It works. In Philippians 4 and 4, we have this scripture from that jailhouse. Because he chose not to let the echo chamber of his life lead him, but he chose to let this echo chamber lead him. He said, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. Help me out back there, Nate. Rejoice. That is the echo chamber that God wants us to live in. He wants us to live in the echo chamber of rejoice. He said, rejoice in the Lord always and again. Echo, again, I say rejoice. If you will take prayer and you'll take your praise and you'll live in God's echo chamber, nothing shall be impossible to you. You can graduate. You can get out of that situation. You can change the world. You can take less and do more with it. I'm yelling. I know. I'm excited. I live in this echo chamber all my life. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. When it's good, when it's bad, when it's up, when it's down, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. And again, and again, and again, I say rejoice. I want to live my life as a conduit for the Lord's echo chamber. I don't want to live as just reverberating all the things I've been through. I know people talk to them 10, 15 years later. They're still on the same grudges. They're still in the same echo chamber. I don't want that for my life. I don't want to be talking about 35 meeting in the Mar Marriott whenever I'm 50. I want to be talking about a hundred soul revival. I want to be talking about rejoicing in the Lord. I want to be talking about children coming home, prodigals returning to the house of God. I want to be living in God's echo chamber. And when I'm rejoicing, I'm doing my best demonstration to the world of what we have in our hands. For he may have gone into that grave, but he's only comfortable for three days in grave clothes because he came out rejoicing. Restoration came. Renewing came. And resurrection came through the rejoicing of Jesus.
in the joy set before him. Thank God that though we can get lost in our own world in our echo chamber, Paul demonstrates to us while in prison, he wrote God's echo chamber. And we can be beckoned by God. Either we can stay in our own world and we can get lost in our own world, or we can be beckoned to God to get lost in his world. Seven billion people plus that he died for, that he was willing to save. If we will get lost in his world, he'll take us places we never even imagine and let us see things we never thought we could be a part of. Amen, someone. Paul hears the Macedonian call, help me. The greatest moment of a hero is someone that responds to a call, help me. And the world is crying out for help. And we have to get out of our own world. No, maybe not lost as in lost and unsaved, but you can get lost in your own world but I'd rather be lost in his world, amen, because it's far more beautiful. Would you stand with me today? This prayer link means that I'm going to pray, but I also want it to mean that I'm going to praise God. I want to rejoice, and again, I say rejoice. God is bidding all of us here to get an other's mentality, to get beyond ourselves, to not live in the chamber that we've created of our own thoughts and our own individuality. In fact, there are only a few countries in the world that even have a word in their language for individual. I don't, I don't have the, the study. I know I read it, but I just didn't write it down. Australia, America, a few others have a way and a concept of singularity, the individual by themselves. But when the disciples asked the same question that I believe seven plus billion people would be asking us today as a church, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to get to God. Teach me how to, what to say. And when they asked Jesus that question, he said, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. There's no place in scripture. There's actually only a few places I should break should edit that, but there's very few places in Scripture where it talks about you praying by yourself. But there are hundreds of places where it talks about you praying together. And so we need to understand that as a culture, we're all about individuality. But as a church, we're supposed to be about unity. One of the friends of mine that I'm going to see this week in Houston, Texas, he he went to India and he was talking to some of his brothers and they asked him, How what's it like to pray in America? Because they have these massive prayer meetings. Three, four hundred people just show up. The PA system is not used to speak to you. They turn the speakers out from the church and they begin to call the city, the people to prayer. And they all come and they show up, three, four hundred thousand, three, four hundred people show up at a time and they just begin to pray. And, and, and Brother Ken Gurley, my friend who I'll see this week, he said they came there and he was exhausted, preached multiple times. And he just came down and him and his, his assistant, he just kneeled out of sheer exhaustion. He just kneeled down and began to pray. He knew it was a prayer service. And he didn't realize it because there was hardly anyone in the room. 
when he knelt down he just began to pray when he stood up and turned around there was three to four hundred people in that room because when they call people to prayer that's what they do they know that's what the church is supposed to do and so I've asked so many times Lord what, what do we do to change the environment and the Lord said pray some churches they're going to plan they're going to strategize we, we'll do all that but first we're going to pray some churches are going to have great sound and great different things, but this church literally didn't even use their sound system for them. They used it to call people in to pray. And so this brother asks him when he gets up and he turns around, he sees all these people praying. He said, what's it like to pray in America? And he said, oh, we, we, we don't pray together like this. We don't we don't have this, this kind of gathering and enthusiasm and desire for prayer. We're very individualistic. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, we, we pray in the mornings. Sometimes we pray at night individually. We read our Bible. And the man shook his head and said, that's, that's not prayer. That's devotion. When do you pray in America? And he was convicted in his heart. And he's called his whole church to prayer and that's what I'm calling us to I'm calling us to prayer collectively organized prayer not singularity prayer not where we go and we have our devotion that's good I'm not against that I have it you'll know where to find me what chair I'll be in every morning unless I eat pizza after 11 but then <laughs> just kidding <laughs> but then I'm going to be in that chair from 6 to 7 praying that's good but the scripture says we should come together and pray that we should bind together in unity in fact the Holy Ghost was poured out in the upper room after they prayed and so I'm not asking for the places where you pray singularly by yourself to change I'm asking that we do this together and you may have to pray alone but I want you to join us by taking a link so that you're com committed to the community of prayer. That we don't do this in singularity, but we do this in solidarity. We do this together. If you don't have a link already, I want you to come and get one. I want you to just commit. And if it takes you several weeks to do it, I understand. But do it as a, as a commitment unto the Lord. Because... If you understand that God honors commitment, he'll make a way for you to get it done. But I want to pray over us today because I believe that what we hold in our hands as a symbol of our prayers can change those that we can touch with our lives. And so would you bow your heads with me as I pray this prayer? I don't quite know how to end this, Jesus, but I know you've called us to prayer. I know you've asked us to be a house of prayer. And I know that is the candle that burns in the spiritual world. And we don't want that candle to go out. Like Hophni and Phinehas who let the candle go out in the house of God before they carried the Ark of the Covenant into battle and lost it. And then the house of the Lord was forever changed. I'm asking right now that the Spirit of the Lord be here strong and that it be here through our prayers. 
I'm also asking today, would you pray with me to break the echo chamber in anybody's life that if we listen to your word and we rejoice, and again I say rejoice, and we pray, Lord God, that you would not only let us break those echo chambers, that we would destroy the negative self-speak, the negative things that keep on saying over and over again, you're not a good son, you're not a good daughter, you're not a good person, you're not able to do what you need to do because you're just not enough, nobody really wants you long-term. All of those things need to be broken in this place right now in Jesus' name. By the authority and power of the Holy Ghost, I take dominion over every chain that stands against the prayer and praise that goes on in this house. By the authority and power of the Holy Ghost, we're going to build a new chain right now in Jesus' name. And that chain is going to be a chain of prayer. And it's going to be a chain that changes everything. It's going to link us together. It's going to link our hearts together by the authority and power of the Holy Ghost. I pray it right now in Jesus' name name and if you feel that prayer would you find a place to pray you can begin praying over your link if you want you can put a stop clock on it if you want you can pray two hours for one link I don't care but would you find a place to pray and say Jesus let me build a chain that gathers in the church let me build a link with my brother and my sister let me build a link for this world to understand that you still love them let me build together something that can be thrown out to a world that's crying for help to pull them out of the places where they are right now to pull them out of their echo chamber to pull them out of the places that they've fallen into maybe together we can help a world break their chains if we give them something new to hold on to in Jesus name I pray today Release the anointing power of God in this house right now. Let somebody feel your presence, Jesus. Let us know that you're there in the name of Jesus. Come on, this is a call to prayer. This is a call to prayer. It's a holy and sacred call. It's to change us. It's so that the world can hear and be changed so that the world the other prisoners can have their chains broken when we take these links and we link them together in our prayers is so that the chains will fall off the other prisoners in the name of for you for my soul is satisfied in your presence and I sing beneath the shadow of your wings cause better is one day in your courts better is one day in your house better is one day elsewhere.